Detroit Today. I'm Anna Marie Seisling, filling in for Stephen Henderson. So I don't know about you, but I have definitely developed some new routines over the pandemic, and one of them has been my evening reading habit. It's gotten pretty intense, and as the season gets into full swing, many of us are planning summer getaways to lounge, unplug, and crack open a new book, which means we'll need some new page turners to pack in our weekend bags. So later in the hour, I'll talk with the senior editor of the book blog Shelf Awareness to get her top picks for your summer reading list. But first, if you're ready to quit your job, you are far from alone. Or maybe you've already called it quits and now you're trying to pivot your career trajectory in an entirely different direction. Over the course of the past year, millions of Americans have reassessed their relationship to work, realizing that for one reason or another, the jobs people had before the pandemic are no longer sustainable, satisfying, or even worth it. That's where we want to begin the hour today, and if you are one of the many people who quit their job during the pandemic or are thinking of leaving your job, I really want to hear from you. Why did you decide to quit? Was the risk not worth the pay? Did you realize that your personal values no longer align with the work you are doing? And what are you doing now? There are so many threads to pull at as we talk about the evolving jobs landscape in this country. And for quite some time on this show, we've been speculating and exploring how life might look very different on the other side of the COVID-19 pandemic. And with the state lifting restrictions earlier this week, it feels like we are just starting to see some of the ways that our lives, specifically on the job front, have been indelibly changed by all that was revealed over the past year. Here to talk with me about this new phenomenon that some are referring to as the Great Resignation is someone who recently took a deep dive into this topic. Joanne Lippman is the author of That's What She Said, a former editor-in-chief of USA Today. And earlier this month, she wrote a piece for Time magazine titled The Pandemic Revealed How Much We Hate Our Jobs, Now We Have a Chance to Reinvent Work. Joanne Lippman, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Anne-Marie. It's great to be here. So I want to dive right in, and I want to begin here with a statistic that I recently came across from Morning Consult, which found that about 61% of U.S. job seekers surveyed recently have looked for a job in a new industry because of the pandemic. Let's start there. What are some of the realities that were laid bare during the pandemic that have people kind of seriously reassessing their work right now? Yeah, yeah, thanks. This, it, this is such an important topic because when you think about the workplace, the modern workplace that we all grew up in, it was actually created more than half a century ago. So we're in this sort of archaic workplace. It actually dates back to World War II when all the guys came home from the front and created this hierarchical workplace that assumed you would be there all day during the day. It assumed that um, you would have a wife at home uh, to take care of everything that was non-work related. So it's this very outdated model. And yet, if you think about all the changes in the past half a century in the kind of work we do, in the technology that we have um, at our disposal, uh, everything has changed. And yet we're still kind of wedded to this very outdated model. So what's happened is during the pandemic, when suddenly we, so many of us were pushed into remote work, there was this realization, two things. First of all, on the remote front, a realization that if we were going to start the workplace from scratch, it would never look the way that it has looked. 
for all of these years. It would look completely different. Um, and secondly, it really showed us the stark divide and the really troubling divide between essentially what we would call knowledge workers, people who work in an office versus those who had to show up during COVID, put themselves at risk, often in the lower paid jobs, you know, working at the, as a grocery clerk or as a delivery person. And we saw that really stark divide. And I think that a lot of people across the income and socioeconomic spectrum realized that the workplace as we know it is just broken. Absolutely. We have to rethink it. Right. And I mean, to that end, so as you said, these kind of systemic inequities that are so deeply embedded in our nation, these things were really put into stark relief over the last year, causing many people, I think, to take some kind of real personal accountability toward, you know, not just saying it'd be great if we did this, but really pushing themselves and the companies and employers that they work for to walk the walk. So, I'm curious, when we look at this kind of social responsibility aspect, how are we seeing this um, kind of increase in emphasis of social responsibility really take shape and inform work right now and the jobs landscape? Right, right. So what's so interesting is that sort of the balance of power has shifted for the first time in decades really toward the employee at this point. Um, We're now entering a tighter labor market. We're at a time of great social change. And there's a lot of pressure on corporate leaders who basically all got their jobs because they were good at, you know, things like revenue and and return on equity. And, you know, they they kind of got promoted all along on these, these um, very standard metrics, often financial metrics. And suddenly, they are being really pushed from the employees to take leadership positions in things like racial justice, uh, you know, the fight against sexism, climate change, all of these issues. And, and uh, it's sort of an unfamiliar position for a lot of them. And, and I do think a lot of our, you know, top leaders, business leaders are struggling a bit with how to navigate these new waters and how to become a leader in an area in which they were not really prepared to go. Absolutely. And you are listening to Detroit Today. I'm Anna Marie Seisling filling in for Stephen Henderson. If you have recently quit your job, maybe you're thinking about quitting, I want to hear from you during this conversation. Give us a call, 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019. You can also drop a comment on Twitter using the hashtag Detroit Today. So, Joanne, going back to what you were just saying about this kind of social responsibility, are there any big corporate leaders that we are seeing kind of uh, make good on these pledges and kind of, as I was saying before, walk the walk when it comes to this? You know, they're all over the map, frankly, at this point. I actually think one of the, um, on the, there's the corporate responsibility, social responsibility front, uh, where you do hear a lot of leaders kind of saying the right thing, right? Uh, But what we're not necessarily seeing is action. We saw the same thing, by the way, with the Me Too movement, where so many leaders came out and in support of, you know, we're going to crush sexism. We're going to make the world a more equitable place. We're going to take care of, of, you know, this, this uh, institutional bias against women. And so there was lots and lots of talk. And in fact, there was a lot of, you know, we're going to institute uh, bias training, et cetera. But if you look at the numbers, if you look at what's actually happened, very little. Very little. The the position of women, in fact, during the pandemic, 
um, what's happened with women is kind of shocking, right? That that we've lost millions of women from the workplace. We we have set back women's participation in the workforce by more than three decades because of the impossibility of juggling uh, homeschooling, childcare, uh, you know, work. It's been impossible, and it just shows this, that the inequities are even greater. I my concern is that we're saying the right things. Our leaders are saying the right things about social justice, about the fight against racism. Um, about climate change, but again, where's the action? And that that's where we really need to see, where does the rubber hit the road on this? Because we haven't yet seen it. Sure. And going back to what you said a moment ago about the kind of gender uh, gap and gender disparity and how we saw this really, uh, the pandemic kind of disproportionately impacting women, I'm also wondering about this aspect of having our humanity acknowledged in a more um, everyday kind of commonplace way for so many people working remotely, doing Zoom calls. It became kind of commonplace and endearing in many instances to hear a dog or see a kid in the background. And, you know, as uh, especially here in Michigan, you know, restrictions lifting earlier this week. I wonder what is your opinion or thought on the idea of people kind of enjoying in some ways having more room to express their full humanity, these kind of non-professional parts of ourselves that have become really uh, all the lines have kind of blurred. And now it's like everybody's working from home, families around. There's, you know, like I said, dogs barking in the background. What do you make of the ways that our humanity being um, kind of so at the forefront of the last year? How do you anticipate that shaping people's um, decisions around what they do for work and what work looks like? Yeah, so it's so interesting. During the pandemic, we were so focused on everything that was wrong. There was so much that was wrong. We had illness and death, and you know there was so many crises. Um, but now, as we're moving into this post-pandemic era, people are looking back at this year and saying, "Wait a second, there were actually some really good things that we don't want to lose." And I'm really glad you brought up this point about humanity. That's one of the sort of hidden pluses. Um, of of this past year is that we have gotten to experience each other and our colleagues in a much more, I would say, authentic way, our authentic selves. One of the things that I noticed actually on my own Zoom calls, of which I've been to way too many, um, is that at the very beginning, people would really like judge themselves. They fix themselves up. I did the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. You You make sure from the waist up, at least, that you look super professional. And I noticed over time that people were sort of more and more casual. People were like less concerned about having the baby crying, the dog barking, the laundry visible in the mm-hmm. background. And and there's something that actually, um, and even you see that even with people who are um, um, on television, right? People who, the pundits you're used to seeing on TV, uh, there's something that's, that, um, that is very humanizing about that, that I actually think is, is very positive. Uh, and, and there are things about remote work, you know, as you're suggesting here, that really would be great to hold on to. The fact that, um, you know, people can exercise in the middle of the day when they have a quick break, um, that they can obviously spend more time with their families, with their kids. Um, they can cook. I have heard from I, God knows how many people who say, you know, and, and in fact, myself, too, I finally learned how to cook during the pandemic. Uh, so th- there are these positives that people want to hold on to, which is why when we look forward, 
there's a there's a real question about well, how should the workplace be structured? I mean, like like we were saying before, if you were to start the workplace from scratch today, would it look like five days a week? Would it look like you know the basic business hours of nine to five? Um, would it even look like a standard forty hour week? Probably no to all of the above, right? It would probably look something very, very different. And that's what we have an opportunity now. And that is the exciting thing here. We have an opportunity to rethink what the workplace can and should look like that would be more humane and more balanced for Absolutely. everyone. And before we get into that, I am curious to kind of pick your brain and get um, some of the ways that you anticipate work looking differently and ways that people might be able to work with employers to get that kind of balance they're looking for. But I do want to uh, go through a few listener comments that we're getting. So Maddie, a listener in Detroit, says he quit working for a wonderful company, uh, Trader Joe's, to pursue Just Paint, fine art style. He didn't quit because the job was awful, but the pandemic taught me, if not now, when? If I don't at least try something, will I ever? This life is short, and I am ready to embrace it all. We also have a kind of similar comment that came in from Trina, who is in Brooklyn, who wrote on Facebook, I've re- I've worked in the dance field for the past 12 years, assuming a variety of roles. All I ever wanted to be was a dancer, though. I really thought that I would do it until I died. But when the pandemic hit and I was forced to take a break, I realized I was okay without dance. And in fact, I was really happy. I started to explore other hobbies and pursuits that I never considered because I was so hyper-focused on my craft. I freelanced for a few dance publications over the years. And throughout this insane year, I was grateful to the many journalists who work tirelessly to report on COVID-19, social justice, the election. To me, it's a noble job. And because of that, in August, I started journalism school, or in August, I start journalism school in Newmark. So there you go. It sounds like, you know, kind of going back to what we were saying a moment ago, this notion of if not now, when? The kind of fragility and precarity of life that was really put on display uh, because of the pandemic. Um, So going back to what you were saying a moment ago, though, how do you think, uh, what are some of the ways that we're seeing? I mean, even with hybrid work, things like that, how are we seeing um, companies and organizations kind of pivot and adapt to what people want to see? Sure. So before we get to the pivot, can I just say I love the comments from both Mm. of those listeners. Love, 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 because that is actually such an important part of what we're seeing, which is people are really searching for meaning. And I do think that um, there's there's a couple of reasons for that. You know, one is that when you are faced with a crisis, it really does put into very sharp relief what what matters, right? What are your priorities? And so many of us have sort of reprioritized our lives. We, we've had this chance to kind of rethink what really matters to us. And there is a real pivot toward meaningful work as opposed to, you know, what's the most money I can make or just what's any job I can get. It's sort of, you know, what, what would actually be sort of something that I would find meaning in my sure. work and in my life. And I think that's really important. And the other thing is, you know, the other piece of that is we've had this sort of year is really interesting. You know, Time Magazine and others have written about how, um, you know, um, had kind of queried and polled their readers and listeners and found that people consider 2020 to be a lost year, a fallow year. 
And and yet during those those kind of lost periods, um, and there's a lot of social science around this, is a time when people can sort of their brains sort of relax. <laughs> they're, they can they have a chance to rethink mm-hmm. and to to reorder sort of things. You know, usually we're in such a rush doing the the next, the next, the next, the next thing that we don't have a chance to exhale, Absolutely. to relax and to rethink. And and this year was like a break for all of us that gave us a chance to do that. And to that um, end, we, we really have a perfect kind of caller comment coming in right now from Paul and Pontiac. Uh, Paul, welcome to Detroit today. What's on your mind? Well, what's on my mind is that she hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what I did over 2020 and 2021 is that um, the first part of the pandemic for those months, I really was expecting to go back to doing what I had been doing. But as I thought more about it and I had the free time to be able to do it, I took the opportunity to get some education under my belt and some certifications under my belt that applied directly to what I had been doing but I decided to move into a different industry doing the same thing. And it afforded me the opportunity to both double my pay and pick up very satisfactory benefits. Mm. Um, so, I mean, as much as, as it was a horrible year to go through, I managed to put something positive in my life with it. Paul, I'm curious, did the uh, kind of social safety nets that were souped up, uh, you know, specifically by way of unemployment, things like that, did that make a difference in your ability to be able to afford to seek those kind of programs and additional education? I would say yes and no. Um, And to clarify that, really what worked more in my favor than, than the social safety net side of things was the fact that I had the free time on my hands mm-hmm. to actually pursue something that I didn't have, you know, a nine to five Monday through Friday. Oh, wait, everybody else is open nine to five as well. I can't do that kind of situation. Um, as well as the fact that uh, with some of the social safety nets, especially at the federal level, with them adding money to what I was already able to collect, that put me in a position to to save some money to be able to afford to do some of, uh, of the uh, education and training that I needed. Got it. Paul, thanks so much for the call. Joanne, uh, going back to what we were saying a moment ago, I mean, I think we really heard a lot of some of the themes that you and I have been discussing in Paul's uh, call. I'm wondering what resonates for you there. Yeah, so this is so interesting because Paul is actually has a lot of company um, in what his experience is. So there was, this, there was a Pew survey uh, this I found really interesting. We have been hearing, by the way, that a lot of people are quitting, right? You, you referenced earlier the Great Resignation, and we have seen um, just recently from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, they have something that's called the quit number, which is how many people leave their jobs voluntarily, which is at a high that we've not seen in decades. But to me, perhaps even more significant is uh, there was a Pew survey um, just a couple months ago of unemployed people, people who had lost their jobs during COVID. 66% of them said, as like, just like Paul, that they considered or are changing occupations. So in other words, they're not just changing, you know, leaving their jobs or quitting their jobs um, or looking for a new job in their field. They're changing occupations. And it goes back to everything you and I have been discussing, which is people are looking for more meaningful work. As Paul said, right, it gave him a chance 
to exhale, to take a breather and to, you know, get some training in, a, in, a, in another field in a, in a way that he can pivot into something that is both more meaningful to him, uh, better paid. I mean, it, it, it kind of hits all the buttons. And I, in reporting this piece for Time Magazine, I found the same thing, right? The people who I spoke to were people uh, who basically said, you know, my career was fine. I was perfectly okay with what I was doing, but I hadn't really thought deeply about what do I really want to do? What do I really value? And the pandemic actually gave me that sort of break um, that I needed to to rethink and to pivot my career to something that is more meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. Joanne Lippman, author of That's What She Said, and a former editor-in-chief of USA Today, chatting with her. Coming up, we will continue the conversation with Joanne Lippman. And I want to hear from you, 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019. Have you recently quit your job? Why did you quit? And what are you doing now? You can also use the hashtag Detroit Today on Twitter. More coming up. You are listening to Detroit Today. I'm here filling in for Stephen Henderson. And I'm joined by Joanne Littman, author of That's What She Said, a former editor-in-chief of USA Today. She recently wrote a piece for Time magazine titled The Pandemic Revealed How Much We Hate Our Jobs. Now We Have a Chance to Reinvent Work. Before we get back into the phones, uh, Joanne, we are getting a we got a comment on Twitter uh, just a few minutes ago. Uh, somebody who is a little bit critical of the the kind of woke social justice warrior culture, um, citing that kind of social uh, justice shift that we're seeing kind of become uh, more mainstream right now. Is that really being a driving force behind people quitting their jobs? What's your take on that? And do you think that that's a good or bad thing? So uh, without question, right, not everybody is on the same side um, in terms of the social justice kinds of issues and whether or not this is something that companies should be addressing. Um, so I, I would agree that there's, you know, this is this is not an easy um, way to think about going forward. Um, and I'm, I didn't see the comment on Twitter, so I'm not sure if they're talking about this in regards to quitting uh, or just in regards to sort of what our expectations are from work. Um, but I would say that our, it, 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 on the latter point, on the expectations, what we have from work, there. this is where I said that corporate executives are really all over the place on this. Um, you see some which are sort of embracing the, you know, the social justice aspects of it. And, and you also see some that are embracing sort of this, well, you should be able to work anywhere you want, you know, totally remote if you would like. Um, and then you've got others that are exactly the reverse. And, and I think that's where we're going to see. I, I don't think there's going to be a one size fits all solution, uh, but I do think that we're going to see um, different kinds of models that are emerging. I mean, one of the issues that I, I think is really interesting that we're seeing people struggle with right now is what's the right um, cadence of remote work for people who can work remotely? Uh, I thought one of the most interesting things that I that I came across was the, the difference in how different industries are approaching this. So a lot of the tech firms um, 
I think like Twitter and Reddit and others are saying, hey, if you can work remote, you can work remote as much as you want, right? That for their employees. Whereas in industries like banking, um, finance, they're like, we want you on premises. There was, um, you know, the head of JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon, who came out and said that if you want to hustle, right, if you're serious about your job, essentially, you're going to be here on the premises. And JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and the other, you know, big banks, they are saying, we want our employees. It's really important that if you care, you're going to be here if you care about your work. And the head of WeWork came out, and this was kind of astonishing. He came, he, he basically said that just the least engaged workers are the ones who are going to work at home, which is kind of like a, basically saying that half the population, like women, people with kids, the handicapped, people who have some disability who, who, for whom remote work actually makes more sense, basically discounting them. He, he basically said those people aren't engaged. You know, they, they don't have any ambition, um, which is, I think, quite damaging, right? We have a, we, th that's, I think, the downside and the challenge that we're going to have to address is when we go to whatever new system we go to, how do we ensure that it is equitable for everyone? Mm -hmm. um, and there is a risk that we could end up, at least in some industries, with a two-tier system where the people who are on the premises are the ones who are getting the attention and the promotion and the, you know, the pay raises and the people who are working remotely are sort of second class citizens. And that's something we're going to have to really guard against. Absolutely. There's also, you know, this notion that you were kind of referring to a bit earlier, this two tiered system, um, not only between the people who voluntarily choose to return to work in person, but also the people in the service industry, uh, these frontline workers that we saw really risking their health. Um, I want to take Rebecca in Royal Oak. Uh, Rebecca, welcome to Detroit today. What's on your mind? Hi. Um, so I actually quit my job in the service industry um, last June towards the beginning of the pandemic because I was in a place where I could. And I noticed that the customers were just becoming way more abusive with everything. And in service industry, you know, whether you work retail or restaurants, you're subject and used to a bit of abuse, but the money's there. So you stay. Then the money wasn't there. So I didn't stay. Um, and I know a lot of other friends have left. They've either gone into better restaurants to support them or they've left the industry altogether. I know a lot of people, Michigan has like a blossoming weed industry. A lot of people are going into those type of jobs or going back to school for education. A lot of people I know are going into nursing. And I kind of just wanted you to talk about, you know, what it's going to be like, um, what service is going to look like. Um, after this because a lot of people are fed up and don't want to work these jobs but people still want to go to restaurants and go to fast casual eating places but you know they don't want to be nice and they don't want to pay a lot so I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. Thanks, Rebecca. Joanne, I'll, I'll put that to you. I, I also am remembering a, a piece in your uh, Time article that kind of suggested, you know, restaurants could also use this opportunity to kind of pivot and rethink uh, what the kind of services and space they even offer to the public is. I'm wondering what you make of Rebecca's comment there. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Rebecca. That's a really, really great point that you're making. Um, and what, first of all, I think what we're going to see is jobs that, and we're already seeing that jobs that are low paying, 
you know, on the premises, the service jobs, um, they're having trouble as we've seen, right? There's, there's a worker shortage. There's an employee shortage um, and particularly for industries like the hospitality and restaurant industries for the very reasons that Rebecca's talking about. So, you know, this could lead to, and already is in some industries, higher pay, which I think would, you know, would, would, would hopefully make us a little bit more equitable. The pay disparity between the lowest paid hourly jobs between the, the um, you know, those that pay the minimum wage versus professional jobs and, and corporate executive jobs is, is wider than it has ever been. And it's just not healthy for society, right? So we need to kind of get that into a better balance. Um, I also think there are lifestyle uh, and benefits that um, that uh, that would really make sense. Uh, I was talking the other day, actually, to someone who oversees um, factories, and and she was saying she's a regional manager for for a manufacturer, and and she said they were really having trouble getting workers. And one of the things that we started talking about was childcare. Mm. Was you know again we talked earlier about how. Um, women uh, have dropped out of the workforce at this incredible rate because of, of the difficulties and the inequities there. And um, there's a lot of excess office space on the other hand because of what's going on with remote. And we started talking and she's like, you know what? We could actually offer daycare on our premises now. We have, we have the room. And if we did that, and you know, it wouldn't just be throwing money at the problem. We've been throwing money at the problem to try and get people to come back, which is um, helpful for workers, but doesn't solve everybody's problems. But if we could offer these other benefits like daycare on premises, that would actually make a difference. So I think we have to be much more creative about what we do. It's both the pay and the the benefits. Um, and I'm sorry that Rebecca has had this experience with rude customers. Uh, that's something that I'm hopeful that I mean, that's just something that we we have to mm -hmm. fix as a society, right? right. We got to better parenting. I don't know. We got to, we got to, you know, we, we have to uh, be more civil to one another. Yeah, absolutely. So as I, a society, but, but there is one thing on the restaurant front, by the way, um, you know, a lot of restaurants have been suffering. One of the things that um, I had suggested in the article that I would love to see would be, you know, restaurants between mealtimes have sort of downtime. And how cool would it be if they could basically use that space and, and essentially be like a mini WeWork, right? So that in between the lunch and dinner rush, um, you know, perhaps some of that space could be used as you could rent it out as conference rooms or you could use it as, a, as an inexpensive way for people to come and set up their Wi-Fi and, and you know, work on, um, you know, do some remote work as opposed to like working in their, their kitchen or their basement. Um, it, there's interesting kinds of ways that we could go and, and rethink how we use our space, too. Sure. Uh, all right. We only have a, a couple minutes left here, and I do want to get to our last caller on the line. That is Norm and Warren. Norm, welcome to Detroit Today. What's on your mind? Um, I've been using this to um, concentrate more on my health. I'm turning 50 soon, and... Um, I have I go to the VA, and a lot of time it takes up my whole day, and I have no, you know, when they make my appointments, and a lot of employers, they're not forgiving. Like, hey man, I gotta go to the, I gotta go to the VA. It's gonna take me all day, and I I can't choose the days. So, yeah, that's where I've been at. Got it. 
Um, you know, so Norm, I actually, I hope that the, what this pandemic will do is to make life more equitable and manageable for, for people like yourself, because I think one of that's really, really, really important that we can't always choose when we get to go to the doctor, when, you know, certain appointments, um, people who have kids, like certain things, the kid gets sick, whatever. And we need more flexibility in in the workplace. And I, again, I think this is something that the pandemic has really brought into sharp relief. And my hope is that's something that will be a lasting positive effect to make um, the workplace more equitable. And, uh, and it's so important to take care of your health. And we've got to prioritize that. Absolutely. All right. Joanne Lippman, author of That's What She Said, former editor-in-chief of USA Today, recently wrote a piece for Time magazine titled The Pandemic Revealed How Much We Hate Our Jobs. Now we have a chance to reinvent work. Joanne, thanks so much for joining me. Really, really great to have you on Detroit today. Thanks, Anna Marie. Great to be here. All right, coming up in just a moment, we are going to get into summer reading. I want to hear what you are reading this summer. Do you have a a summer book pick for me? I'll talk with the senior editor of a book newsletter coming up right after this. 